I want us to turn our attention to the two verses we read from John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. We live in a day and age when church attendance in the West is in decline, in our own country and in other Western nations. And yet at the same time, we still hear a lot about faith. But faith can be a very vague term, can't it? It can be a faith in oneself, a characteristic like kindness or compassion, something without any outward focus. It can be faith perhaps in a philosophy or even in a set of beliefs. There are sadly many who call themselves Christians who only have some vague faith, something which is simply an end in itself. As long as I have faith, whatever that might be, everything will be well. Well, John begins his gospel, as we read earlier, with far more certainty, doesn't he? He begins with a great claim, not about some vague faith that we all need, but a stupendous claim about a person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's his starting point. He starts with the eternal being of the Son, the Word of God. And from that point on, he unfolds this great truth throughout his Gospel. The truth concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is to be the object of the believer's faith. And although John's Gospel has 21 chapters, and chapter 21 is very important, it's all about the resurrection, John seems to to come to a sort of conclusion, a climax at the end of chapter 20. The final... uh, account of an incident in chapter 20 concerns Thomas, uh, the disciple. Uh, One event can so often uh, determine uh, a person's uh, reputation. And it's certainly so for Thomas, isn't it? We we know him as doubting Thomas. If we, we speak of somebody who is cynical and believing, we call them, or at least we used to when the Bible was more familiar to people, a doubting Thomas. And yet the reality is uh, Thomas was no different, was he, to any of the other disciples. Thomas doubted the Lord's resurrection. And yet Luke tells us when the, the women went from the grave, having discovered it being empty, and ran to the disciples, were told that to the disciples their words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Thomas is the one who has been, as it were, singled out, doubting Thomas. And yet, that's not where John ends, is it? His account of Thomas, the disciple. What he ends with is perhaps one of the greatest confessions in the whole of the New Testament. You remember how Thomas comes to that point 
where he himself sees the Lord Jesus Christ. And from his lips come these words, my Lord and my God. And that seems to be a great climactic point, doesn't it? My Lord and my God. As he looks into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having written that down for us, John comes to these words. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And it's this these concluding words that I want us to consider together this evening. Here we have the great foundation of our faith. The faith I mentioned at the beginning is so often a leap in the dark. Something with no real foundation. But true faith, John tells us here, is something which is grounded in a person. And he sums up the foundation of our faith in these two great statements. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The one whose life John has set out in this gospel uh, is, not, nothing le is no one less than God's promised Messiah. He's the anointed one. That's what Christ means, anointed. And he is the one who has been anointed, appointed by the Father to come and fulfill his great purpose of salvation. And this one who's come is no one less than the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. One with the Father of the same divine essence. And having made that statement right at the beginning, John weaves the story of the Lord Jesus Christ out in his gospel in order to establish these two great truths. And he says that in this conclusion that the evidence is overwhelming. Uh, although it's impossible to record everything that Jesus has said and done. There is enough, he says in my gospel, to prove these two great statements. John makes reference, doesn't he, to the other gospels. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. They're written elsewhere. You can read the other gospel writers, their accounts. John is the, the last of the gospels to have been written. But he also says that were the gospel writers that had written down everything that Jesus did and said, you notice how he ends his gospel in chapter 21 and verse 25. He said, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But he, what he is saying to us in these words is, all that I have written is sufficient to establish this great truth 
who is the foundation of the believer's faith. No one less than the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, many signs have been done uh, in order to establish this truth. What does he mean by signs? John, more than any of the uh, gospel writers, uses this word. And it, it, it describes a miracle. A miracle viewed as proof of divine authority and majesty. Each of these miracles, each of these signs were uh, proofs, were attestations, declarations of who Jesus was. They were never an end in themselves. They were always meant to be signposts, pointing those who saw what Jesus did to his majesty and to his divine authority. Remember what Peter said on the, on the day of Pentecost, on that first great sermon after the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders that God did through him in your midst. And he ends this, the sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. As Jesus performed these miracles, he often went on to show and to demonstrate their spiritual significance, that they constantly spoke of him and his work. Remember how Jesus multiplied the loaves and the, and the fishes and, and fed the crowds. What did he go on to say? I am the bread of life. I am the true source of life. You, you've gathered round me, he says, because you want your stomachs to be filled. But I am the bread of life. I am the one that can give you life everlasting. After he'd healed the blind man who was then thrown out of the synagogue which we read of in chapter 9 we read there in verse 33 uh, sorry verse 35 Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him he said do you believe in the son of man he answered who is he sir that I may believe in him Jesus said to him you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus not only healed the blind man of his physical blindness, but he pointed out to him uh, the source of spiritual enlightenment, that it was in him himself. And you notice how he accepts the worship of the man, for he is God. Only God is to be worshipped. Jesus accepts the worship of this man he identifies himself as the one sent from God as he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead what did he say to the sisters I am the resurrection and the life I am the one who is the very source of life I am the one who is not bound by death death is no barrier to me 
And Jesus' authority and power shine out again and again from the page. And John's Gospel, we could go on, couldn't we, looking at sign after sign. Uh, there are so many signs which identify him as the promised Messiah. You think of the cleansing of the temple, prophesied in the Psalms, the triumphal entry, uh, prophesied in the Minor Prophets, and so many other signs which are fulfilments right up to his death and all that occurred around it uh, are signs that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets, that he was the Lord's anointed. And John, more than any other of the disciples, highlights for us uh, Jesus' messianic office, this, this office of the Messiah, uh, the glory of his divine nature shines out in John's gospel. Remember again what he said to the woman uh, of Samaria at the well. Remember how he met with her and they entered into conversation about where God was to be worshipped. And we read in 20, verse 23, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, makes this, this great declaration, this clear declaration that he is the promised Messiah. And although the Jews refused to accept his claims, they recognized the implications of what he was saying. In the next chapter, after Jesus has healed the man at the, the pool of Bethesda. Uh, he heals him on the Sabbath. And the Jews complain again about Jesus doing this. And uh, we read uh, in, verse 50, oh, in verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he's just said to them, my father is working until now and I am working. And they say that not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They saw behind what Jesus was saying that not only was Jesus claiming to be God, to be his father in some general sense as all creatures are made by God but no here is Jesus claiming equality with God he is the divine Messiah as I say we could go on couldn't we page after page shines out with these signs and these declarations of who Jesus is and as I say in these two verses Jesus seems to be saying, as he sums up his gospel, the facts speak for themselves. He's like a barrister in court, 
having gone through all the evidence, he turns to the jury and says, you can only come to one conclusion. The facts speak for themselves. And no fact is clearer in all of the Gospels. No sign is more emphatic than our Saviour's resurrection. What mere man could claim, put me to death, and in three days I shall rise again? We hear people, well-known people, making great claims, don't we? We've had lots of people making great claims in recent months. And we say, don't we, this will make him or break him. And it's no less true of Jesus in this claim. If this claim fails, the greatest of all claims, put me to death and I will rise again. If this fails, all else fails. But the final chapters of the gospel make it clear that he is not here. He is risen. The evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. The gospel writers, Paul uh, the apostle, uh, wrote of the resurrection when multitudes were still alive when these things had taken place. Remember what he said, wrote in 1 Corinthians, that great chapter on the resurrection. Uh, chapter 15, he says, And he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The resurrection was a fact. There were multitudes who gave witness to it. The Jews never were able to deny this truth. And John says, these things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But we also then not only have this great declaration of the Lordship, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the one foundation for our faith. He also writes with another purpose. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, it can be translated, but these are written that you may go on believing. There's a, a, a continual activity mentioned in the original. So that as you read the gospel, you may go on believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And how we need that assurance. How often we... Our faith is challenged by so many different pressures. We have a battle with our own unbelieving hearts. We have Satan's lies and insinuations. We have the rampant unbelief in the world and society around us and the rejection of the gospel. How can we stand? 
Our faith can be shaken at times, can't it? And Satan, just as he did in the garden with, with Eve, he comes along and he says, did God really say that? Is the gospel really true? Well, what John says to us here is that when you face such trials, come back to the gospels. Come back and read the accounts of our Lord Jesus Christ's life. And as you read the Gospels, you can gaze again into the face of the Saviour revealed there. You can see him again in all his glory and all his majesty. And you can follow the signs that will take you back to this sure and certain foundation of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is that one foundation that we can build our life upon in all the midst of all the trials and different events of life. Jesus Christ remains the same. It's a foundation that we can rest ourselves upon when life's end approaches, when death draws near. And it's a foundation that will carry us through death to all the fullness of life in glory. These are written that you may go on believing. We can be like the disciples, can't we? We can be slow to believe. But we can thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ is tender and compassionate. He does not quench the burning flax but he deals gently, as he did with Thomas, as he did with Peter. So he deals gently with us. And as we go back to him, he will restore us and lift us up. These are written that you may go on believing. But why then is this foundation so important? Why is this the one foundation why does the Christian gospel claim a uniqueness? Perhaps there's someone here who's yet unbelieving. You wonder why the Christians make so much of Christ. Well, John tells us, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In the name, in his name, summarizes, gathers together all that he is, all that he has done in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. What John says here is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only source of spiritual life. He's the only source of real life. He's the only source uh, of power to raise those who are dead in their sins and bring them back to communion and fellowship with God. He is the only source of life eternal. There are many other faiths in this world. Many of them have, them, have uh, good elements to them. Many of them promote uh, neighborliness of morality. But none of them can take you beyond this life. None of them can give you true fellowship with God. None of them can take you to heaven. Jesus Christ 
is the only foundation and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why we proclaim Christ. He is the one who has said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And for those of us who do believe, let us be encouraged in what John tells us. Let's go back to the Gospels and read again of our Lord Jesus. But as a church, let us heed, whether it be the church here in Cliddoch or the church in Ebenezer or wherever, as a church in these days, we need to heed these words. When the church continues to accept Jesus as the divinely appointed and qualified, the anointed one, that is the Christ, the fulfillment of all Old Testament hopes and promises, when it continues to recognize him as the Son of God in the most ex exalted sense of the term, then it will continue to have life, everlasting life in his name. How many churches have closed, have become dead because they came to a point where they denied the gospel? They denied the Lord Jesus Christ. They denied his resurrection. And God removed their candlestick. Oh, may me, we as people in this day, in all the challenges of life, be those who are faithful, who stand firm upon this one foundation. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.